Well, we are going to go back uh, to our focus in the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, it has been a few months because uh, we kind of came into the holiday season with Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, and so we kind of stepped away from it for a little while and did some, a few other things. Um, not only are we going back to First Thessalonians, but we're also going to take a big leap forward in the book. Um, most of chapter 2 and chapter 3 deal with Paul's personal heart and the relationship, the special relationship that he had with this church. And we had already taken a, a few weeks, and we looked at that already. Uh, so we're not going to belabor the point on that. Uh, so we're going to jump forward uh, to chapter 4 today. And if you take your Bibles out, um, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as God's word is read. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, if you'll stand together. It says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandment we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man's transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to a purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Maybe seated. Folks, make no mistake. Uh, this is not an easy subject to talk about, to talk about here in church. Um, believe me, I'd be more than happy to give the pulpit up for just a little bit. Uh, it's not easy to talk about, but it's essential. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in this, I want to encourage you to stay with me to the end of the message because it's going to, it's maybe a little bit hard in the middle, but I want to encourage you to stick with me to the very end for the hope. Folks, we live in a time in a culture that the sanctity of marriage is treated like nothing but a cheap commodity. Everywhere and everything all around us is, is laced with sexuality. Music, TV, advertising, movies, magazines, the internet, you cannot get away from it. I think it's a true statement to say that no more does a person have to pursue sexual immorality because it's pursuing us. And everywhere we turn, it's, it's there. It's on our tails. The enticing towards sexual immorality is everywhere, whether it's in large degrees or small degrees. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed 
by his own lust. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So all around us, we see this, this, this warning of James that talks about, you know, sin being born so small, it's conceived, and then it, it gets into an overblown thing. All around us, we have these entry-level visuals that plant the seed of sin in our life that gives birth ultimately to destruction. Lives are ruined. Marriages are destroyed. The ability to have healthy relationships is hindered. It all leads to exploitation, to guilt, to shame, to shallowness, to loneliness, and the disillusionment of any meaningful relationship that we have in our lives. It is very likely that we will not be able to put the toothpaste back in the tube on this issue. But that does not change God's call to us as Christians. A call for us to be holy, to be sanctified in this area of our sexual purity. Now in the text we wrote here, God is writing to the church in Thessalonica He's writing it for a reason. I mean, again, Paul has this personal relationship with this church, so you know he's very close and intimate to what is going on in their culture, what is going on in their church. So he has a purpose that he chooses to address this. Um, matter of fact, in Thessalonica, um, this Gentile city was overflowing in sexual sin, similar to our culture today. We have maybe many more different ways that it happens, but it was so prevalent in their, in their culture. Prostitution, adultery. Matter of fact, uh, the pagans, the false religions of their time, they would promote temple prostitutes to be priests or priestesses. And the teaching was by consummating with one of these priestesses that you were literally speaking directly to God. And so everything, everything is tainted in this city by, by the sexual sin. And then we have to remember that this is a new church. You know, they didn't have people back then that were raised in a Christian home, raised in a church. So, you know, they had... You know, I have at least a foundation and a base here. You know, all of them in this church have come out of this depraved culture, and they participated in one degree or another. It's a new church with new believers saved out of a sordid past. While in Thessalonica, this was a subject that Paul had already taught and he'd already addressed. While he was there planting the church, he saw it around, all around him, and he addressed it with the church. He reminds them of that in verse 1 and 2. It says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when I was there, I taught you about this already, and, and he's revisiting it with them. He's reminding them of it. He's challenging them on this issue. You know, it's, it's important here, you know, for, for us to be reminded again and again, and that's a lesson for us to learn before we even get too far into this text. 
You know, we need to continually remind ourselves and recommit ourselves to our walk in the Lord. That's what he's doing to them. I mean, he's already taught them on it. And now he's asking, he's revisiting again because he wants them to recommit in this area. And if you think about it, the world and Satan is constantly chipping away at our faith, constantly eroding our, our walk with Christ. And we need to recognize that we need to constantly renew that. And the battle is never over. The battle is never over on this side of eternity, especially in this area of sexual purity. The battle is never going to end. So what I want to do this morning is I want to answer three simple questions from God's word on this subject. Right? Three simple questions. First of all, what? The first question is what? What is the command? What is God telling us in this issue? It says in verse 3, he says, for this is the will of God. Okay, so this is his command. This is what God wants. He wants your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He wants your sanctification. He wants you to be set apart. That's what the word means. It means as a Christian, as a child of God, that, that I am different. I am, I am special. I am not like everything around me. And there are many areas that we are called as Christians to be sanctified in. We're supposed to have, be set apart, have a different type of an attitude, a different type of a heart. We have a different types of our service. Our, our tongue is supposed to be used differently than the world would use its tongue. But in this area of sanctification, God is very specifically addressing one area here. It is God's will and desire that you set apart in your sexual purity. That a Christian is different than the world. And this covers everything from pornography to adultery. This sexual purity that he's talking about. We know that it is possible for a Christian to commit sins of immorality, of sexual impurity. In fact, it's all, all through scripture. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 4, Paul addresses the Corinthian church here, and he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's addressing those who are reading this letter. He thank God for them. God's grace, Jesus Christ was given unto them. You know, that's how he starts this letter to them, but by the time you get to chapter 5, Paul makes a statement. He says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. He goes on to say, even to the point beyond what the Gentiles world is doing. So we know it's possible. This subject of sexual purity is breached in almost every single church letter in some form or another. Matter of fact, our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is being written to believers. It says in verse 1, it says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you. He's talking to brothers in Christ. He's talking to church family members here. So that's the what question. What is it God wants from us? He wants our sanctification. In our area of sexual purity, he wants us to be different. He wants us to be set apart. Now I want to address probably the hardest question and the one that we're going to spend the most time on, and that's the how. How can I obey this command? I know what God wants but how can I obey? How do I do this? 
We live in a corrupt world that is sex-crazed. It exalts it. It mocks marriage. It mocks faithfulness to one person. So we have our, our culture that's attacking us, and then we have our own past life patterns before we were saved, things that we were exposed to. And then even after we're saved, things that we've exposed ourselves to. So how do we maintain the sanctification that God asks of us? Well, let me give you a number. I think I have about five or so here. Number one, first thing, don't let your body control you. Don't let your body control you. Verse four, it says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That we all know how to possess our own vessel in sanctification and honor. Every single believer, if you are a Christian, you, you need to know how to gain control and mastery over your body and the desires that it has. Whatever it takes for you, and I want to tell you, it will be different for each of us. We must not let our bodies destroy our soul and our spirit. So you need to know yourself. You need to know the danger areas. You need to do what is necessary in your life to control your morality. We need to exercise that, that self-control. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, remember what Paul said? He said, I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Control of our body, not our body controlling our mind and, and, and our spirit. Don't let your body control you. Contr exercise control over your body. And the way that you exercise control over your body, you do it through the mind. Let me give you some verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, then dwell on these things. You see, don't just focus on getting rid of, I got to stop, I got to stop, I got to stop this, but fill your mind. He says, focus your mind. Your mind controls your body. Your mind tells your body what to do. You need to focus on the mind and fill it with the things that you want it to be filled with, that God wants it to be filled with. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Okay, you know, again, the exact same thing. Don't let sin, don't let your body rule your life. And it starts with a recognition that everything about you, it belongs to God. It's God's. I, I, I tell you what, I think one of our greatest struggles as Christians in this area is we have a tendency to compartmentalize our faith. I, I speak about this a lot, compartmentalizing our faith. Um, and, and we shouldn't do this because Sometimes as a Christian, I can look at, hey, I'm really good here. I, I, I really do good at a service and getting involved, and, and, you know, I'm really good at giving, you know, and pouring myself out to God and always. I'm really good at worship. You know, I love to worship God. And we think that that somehow offsets areas that I might be bad in or that I might be wrong in. And for our topic, 
you know, in this area of sexual purity, I have all these areas I'm giving to God, but this area, this area of control, this area of being set apart, you know, we, we try to serve two masters, and it never works. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I therefore urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he talks about placing our bodies before God, giving them to God and renewing our, our whole lives through our mind, the renewal of our mind. And until you give, until you surrender that part of your walk to Jesus Christ, you, you will, you'll have no hope. You know, you'll have no hope of mastering your body until you say, God, this is yours. This is your body. So the first thing is don't let our body control us. Don't let your body control you. Second thing, we need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That seems pretty straightforward. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, there are so many areas of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. There are so many areas, but for the sake of understanding and the sake of time, need to understand this, that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, one of the things that seals your salvation, the genuineness of it, is that God the Father gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes residency living in our lives. And part of the Holy Spirit, he has a lot of works of things that he, he does in our life. One of his works is to help you master your body and to produce a sanctification, a set-apart in this area. It is the Holy Spirit's a desire for him to help you and to work in this area. So to walk by the Spirit, it infers this daily interaction with the Holy Spirit, yielding control of, of my life, your life, to the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, you know, I've done a lot of studies on the Holy Spirit. How do I know what the Holy Spirit wants? How do I know what the Holy Spirit wants in my life? Well, that comes from being in the Bible. He reveals himself through his word. And the Holy Spirit works his word into your life. But let, let's just be honest here for a second here. We all know what God wants in this area of sexual purity. Is there any question? Is there any question what God wants of us? Is there any question what the Holy Spirit is trying to, to lead us towards? He, want us to, he wants us to walk with the Holy Spirit, consistent daily, allowing him you know, to direct us in this area. Sanctification, living set apart in this area of sexual purity, it starts with mastering our bodies through the mind. What we feed it, whether it's good or bad. Making the stand that your body belongs to God. This is God's, not the world's. The second thing is to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit help you in this area. A third thing I want to add to this is be smart enough to avoid the kinds of people, places, and experiences 
that can culminate in sexual sin. Okay, be smart enough to avoid the kinds of people, places, and experiences that can culminate in sexual sin. Folks, it is fighting a losing battle to know all the right patterns, all the right positive things that we're supposed to do, and then go out and expose yourself in this area of temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We're told to do two things. We're supposed to flee and we're supposed to pursue. Flee immorality, pursue righteousness. They go hand in hand. You know, if we're focusing on our sanctification, I'm going to live set, up, set apart to God in this area. Number four, the world is not our standard. Jesus Christ is. We need to get that. You think this is, should be simplistic for us, but it's not. Folks, the world is our standard. Or excuse me, the world is not our standard. Jesus Christ is. Verse five goes on. It says, and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Don't look at the standard of the world around you and say, well, compared to the world, I'm doing better. Who cares? Jesus Christ is our standard. The world isn't the standard. My focus is on Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to the world, you know, that says everybody is doing it, if it feels good, how can it possibly be wrong? You know, God created it. If you're listening to the world, if you care what your colleagues at workplace is the standard for purity, then you're going to fail. If they've got your ear, if the world has your ear in this matter, you're going to fail. Now, in researching this topic, and I was researching how prevalent pornography in the pornography industry is, and, and believe me, that is something that I only wanted to do for about five minutes. Um, one study that I looked at, and this was a secular study, and they claimed that the average time a person spends on the internet in pornography is seven minutes. Okay, seven minutes so from the time they can log, when they log on to a site and when they log off to a site. It's about seven minutes. And, and this is what stood out to me. This is their conclusion. Their conclusion is that it's not that big of a problem. It's nothing more like a brief coffee break. And that's the world. Now, they couldn't tell you. They did say, well, we, and we don't know how many coffee breaks the average person does. You know, they, didn't, they went at that. But their whole conclusion is that it's not you know, this overriding thing in our life. It's just like going and getting a, a cup of coffee. Folks, our attitude, our heart, our belief and practice on purity is not the world's standards. We have to at least have the right goal. We have to at least have the right end in front of us. And you have to settle that in your heart and your mind. That you are one of God's children. And as God's children, we are set apart. I'm supposed to be different. I'm supposed to be going against what our culture is doing out there. And, and if you don't embrace that, if you can't embrace that, that you're supposed to be different, you're supposed to be set apart, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Fifth point under how. Fifth point under how. Number five, see sexual sin for what it is. We need to see sexual sin for what it is. It is a defrauding of another person. Verse six, 
and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly have warned you. Let's focus on the first part of that verse, the defrauding of another person. That word defraud there, it's a very powerful word. It means to take advantage of them. When you defraud a person, you are taking something that isn't yours from that person. You use another person selfishly when you defraud them. And any time a person enters into a sexual encounter that is outside of the, the holy design of marriage, what you are doing, what you are doing at that moment, whether it's on the internet, whether it's in person, whatever it might be, what you are doing is you are taking something that isn't yours. And you are taking advantage of a person, even if that person is willing. You know, even if it is legal, you are taking advantage of that person. You are using that person selfishly. And don't give what is meant for your future wife or your future husband or your present wife or husband. Don't give that to someone else. You know, that, that's, what this, this was, that's what this is exhorting us here. And until we begin to see sexual immorality for what it is, we're open to the lies, deception, the manipulation of the world. It's a defrauding of another person. I, I want to teach you a very simple word for this temptation that we have out there that's all around us. Write this down. It's the word no. Can you learn to say no to yourself? Can you say, no, I'm not going to? No, yes, it's there. Yes, it's prevalent. Yes, it's all around. Yes, it's freely available. Yes, it's legal. But no. No. I'm a child of God. My life is his. I'll exercise control over my body. I'm going to walk by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to defraud or steal or give away something that isn't mine. We need to control our body. We need to submit to the Holy Spirit. We need to avoid situations that put us in those opportunities. We need to set Christ as our standard. We need to see what the sin is in sexual immorality. It's a defrauding of yourself, and it's a defrauding of another person. Real quickly here. Let's answer the third question. We've said, what is it that God wants? He wants our sanctification. He wants us to be set apart. We just talked about and summarized the how that he tells us from our text and other places in scripture. Let's answer the why question. Why? Why should I obey this? Why should I obey this? From our text, Paul gives three very compelling truths. God gives us three reasons to obey this. Number one in verse six, and we'll go into the second part, it says that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Why? Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Number one reason that we should obey this, why should I obey this? Is because God, because of God's judgment. God's judgment, whom the Lord loves. He disciplines. He scourges every son he receives. If you are a child of his, he does not let it go unchecked. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And you say, whoa, what kind of judgment? I'm not going to tell you specifically. I don't know specifically how God is going to judge you. God has many ways of judging a person. He has many ways of, 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 of trying to correct us and bring us back. Physical torment. Disease. Devastating a marriage. Personal relationships being destroyed. Financial struggles. And probably one that gets in every single care category is the loss of what could have been. The loss of what could have been. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his whole own body. That's why this is so important, and God is not going to leave it unchecked. You know, the point is, God says, I will act to pursue, to, excuse me, to purify my name. God will act to purify his church. God will act to purify his bride. And you may say, well, if that's true, if God judges these sin, then why is sexual immorality so rampant in our nation? Well, the, the, the answer for this and the simple answer for this is this command given here is for believers. This isn't given to the world. Matter of fact, we're called to be different from the world. There's an assumption that the world's going to be going down this path. This is for believers. It's not for the unsaved world. This is about the purity of Christ's name. This is about the holiness of of Christ's bride, who if you're a child of his, you are a part of. That's what this is about. The world has not been set apart. The world has not been called out. It is God's children who bear his name. It is you and I who bear his name. It's, it's me who claims his blood. And with that, I'm called to be different than the world that I'm living in. So we need to obey this because of God's judgment. Number two, not only because of God's judgment or his vengeance, number two is because of God's purpose. Verse seven, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Never think about that. God has a purpose for you. You're special. You've been called into his kingdom. You've been called out of this world for a reason. You're special to God. Don't waste it on the world. Don't give it back to the world what Christ has given his blood to claim and to call out and to, to save and to purify. Don't give it back to the world. You have a purpose. Third reason. Third reason to, to, to obey, excuse me, third reason is to not obey is to fight God or to reject God. Verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. See, we are nullifying the work of the Holy Spirit in us when we, we object to this, when we, when we don't obey this. To reject this truth is not to reject some 60-year-old preacher standing up here with these archaic ideas and these Puritan views. To reject this is not to, to reject the church, you know, in the argument of some religious system. 
If you have an argument, take up your argument with God. Because to reject this, to not live this, is rejecting not man, but rejecting God, who gives us the Holy Spirit. Any and every time a person commits a sexual sin, we are rejecting God. We are grieving the Holy Spirit in our life. That Holy Spirit that's been given to us to lead us to sanctification. Now this is all pretty heavy. And again, like I said, not pleasant for us to talk about, but it's very important. I want to leave you, though, with something encouraging. An encouraging word. This past Sunday, last week, we had a men's breakfast. And because I've been studying this and preparing for this for for a month or so, um, I've used part of uh, my time in the Word and and took it to the men's breakfast. But I want to share it with you. The same devotion I shared with them. Let's begin by reading Hebrew, excuse me, Psalms 32, verse 1 through 6. Let me just put this up to you. It says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in, <coughs> excuse me, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt, the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Now, we talked a little bit about it at the men's breakfast, about, you know, as kids, you know, we had a concept called do-over. You know, if, if something got messed up in the game, we, you know, called do-over and get to try it all over again. Um, but life for adults is a little bit more complicated than that. We don't get do-overs. You know, they, they, they don't exist in reality. But the truth is, God takes us where we are at. And he doesn't give us a do-over. But he gives us a new start. He gives us a fresh start. And it stood out to me. Those first two verses, both verses start with the word, how blessed is he who transgression is forgiven. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He's talking here all about sin and confessing sin to him, giving it to him. So there's the assumption that they have sinned, that sin is in their life. And I love it that he said, though sin is in your life, you can still be blessed. You know, the book has been written up until this part, but you can change the final chapters. You can change the direction the trajectory of the story. And it can end different. You know, that which has been destroyed, God can give you a blessing. We may not be able to do over, but we can still be blessed in our faith, even after we have sin. But often we don't. We don't go to him in confession. Verse 3 and 4 says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away 
Through my groanings all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of the summer. And that's what we feel like. Because we keep this sin. We keep the shame. We keep it in ourselves and our bodies are wasting away. That which God has intended for us. We're never reaching that potential. We're, We're always struggling. And God's answer for that, if you feel like that in this area of sexual purity, God, he can't start over, you know, but God can give you something new. He can give you a fresh start. His answer is in verse 5. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And if you have your Bibles, there's that word selah there. It means stop and think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute, that when I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity, when I didn't hide it, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We have a God who wants to forgive. We have a God who wants to restore. He died. He, he died on the cross for those sins. He wants to remove them from you. Then verse 6, this is the result. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture. That we are being oppressed. We feel like we're going under. We are drowning in our sin. When we pour our heart out to Christ, when we ask for forgiveness from him, it doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter the length. It doesn't matter the, the, the duration of it. God says, I will forgive. You might be feeling like you're going under, like the great flood of waters is taking you down. But God says, I want to lift you back up. I want to help you to be able to breathe, breathe, breathe celestial air. And that hope is in our forgiveness of not hiding our sin from him, confessing it to the Lord. And that's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this hope. Wherever you are at, God wants to give you a fresh start. And it's going to come. We've talked about the things that he's desiring for you to do for your sanctification, to help you to live set apart. And the most important thing that he has given you is the ability to go to him and say, I am wrong. That was wrong. Father God, I I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you do not shy away from truth, things that are destroying our lives, destroying relationships. And Lord, I thank you that you have laid this wound bare before us so that you might bring healing and work in each and every one of our hearts, Father. Wherever we are at, wherever we come into the story here and wherever our need is that we need to do for our sanctification to live different from the world. I pray for your strength. I pray for your Holy Spirit, for your conviction in my life, in our lives, Father, that we might pursue you. Thank you, Father. In thy son's name we